All right. Welcome to another episode of the Student Athlete Sessions. Today, we are joined by Vassar men's basketball head coach, Ryan Mee. Ryan, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I love what you're doing for kids around the country, as well as coaches, just getting more information out about the Division Three world. Yeah, appreciate that. Um, Ryan is, as we mentioned, the head coach of Vassar and the Division uh, three basketball season is is getting kicked off. They have their first game at, against Elizabethtown tonight. But last week, they, you guys played Yale in a scrimmage. Walk me through that because I see that happening a lot, these D3, D1 scrimmages. What, what is the value to the D3 opponent? Because usually the score is, ends up pretty lopsided. Yeah, it, it's just a really unique experience. So um, in our situation, it was an exhibition game. Um, but it counted towards Yale's regular season. So if you get it within a certain date, um, I don't, we don't have to take a, a loss, but we get that opportunity to compete on a national stage. And when we're looking at, uh, ESPN plus and getting to see our, our Vassar College logo, uh, side by side with Yale's, it's just a really uh, neat experience, especially for our guys. As a player, I was never able to have uh, that that competition against the Division One program, and uh, just uh, for our guys to experience that during that time period, and then be able to watch them uh, throughout the season, it creates a really neat uh, like relationship for for the students against their competition. Yeah, and I, I read somewhere that you worked or still work at some of the Yale camps. Is that how the game came about, or how did how did you decide on Yale or set that up? Uh, it, it's the, the division one opponents are the, the decision makers. So it's just telling, uh, informing them that you have interest and it's something that we would love to do again, um, as we continue to try. So it's, it's, um, trying to make sure it makes sense that it helps that program, uh, get ready for the season as they are getting ready to play UMass, I think next. Um, but they're, they're able to have that schedule, um, and they're in control of it. So it's just letting peers and friends that you've made along the way, that network in the coaching uh, world is important to let you know, hey, let me know how we can help you. And because uh, that that exposure is really helpful for us as a program in the recruiting field for our season. Because whenever you make a mistake um, against a, a caliber, uh, the, the high caliber opponent of, of a Yale, they make you pay. And uh, sometimes in Division Three, you're able to to get away with some of those mistakes, and they might miss a shot or miss the cut. Um, but it's it really highlights every mistake that you make, so we can try to be going full speed tonight and moving forward. Makes a ton of sense. I mean, I remember back in my career, we played Columbia, and I think we were woefully underprepared. They had a seven footer, and you know every position could shoot, and I think we ended up losing by fifty. But at the end of the day, as you're mentioning, it didn't count as a loss and, and it was this good test run just to get some, some of the, some of the preseason jetters out or, or whatever and get ready for the season. Yes. Um, yeah, that, that elite athleticism and hype, but uh, just being on the court with coach Jones, who was uh, working with USA basketball and just having those multiple. Um, it's been the hottest team in the Ivy League and preseason favorite. We knew it was going to be a tall task. Yeah, but might as well might as well go for the best and 
<laughs> you guys will be served well in the long run. I, I believe so. Yeah. And, and you, you touched on your personal playing career a, a little there at the start of your answer. You said you didn't get a chance to play division one opponents for, for everyone listening. Coach me went to uh, Rochester up in New York was one of the, uh, if not these, are you still the winningest class in program Maybe. history? We get to hold that title, the class of 2005. There you go. Yeah. So <laughs> four year varsity letter winner. And, uh, I think I read four straight NCAA tournament appearances. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you know, our first, um, yeah, we were able to go to two final fours my freshman year and my senior year. We actually lost to Elizabethtown in overtime that first, my freshman year, uh, in the final four. So wow. we lost in the semifinals. Same so, coach at Elizabethtown still, or is it? Has- um, new coach, the, the, both coaches, coach Mike Neer, uh, has, has stepped down from Rochester and, and the Elizabethtown coach is also retired, but now, um, Britt Moore is at Elizabethtown and, and getting that program back up and running. Yeah. Well, walk us through your, your college selection choice and how you ended up at Rochester. Obviously from the, from the stats and from the on-court success, it seems like it was a good fit, but, but how did you view college basketball and, and your college selection as a, as a high schooler? Um, unfortunately, I was that typical high schooler that, that didn't, uh, understand just the, the difficulty, the recruitment process, because I, I was a three-sport athlete. So I think it was midway through my basketball season, I decided I was going to play basketball. I was doing recruiting camps for baseball and basketball, but my, my passion for, for hoops uh, just completely uh, took over, and I wasn't going to be happy playing basketball or baseball. So then that changed my, my shift, shifted my timeline as I was trying to search for schools where I could play basketball, maybe even potentially try to play both, but that was at the division three level. Uh, and then there was some local schools, but the, the University of Rochester, um, just, it was a local school, but it had that national appeal and, and it drew people from all over the world and, it had a very neat and good reputation as a basketball program, but the, the court also caught my eye. The Palestra is a beautiful place. Um, and then it just turned out that that was going to be my home for the next four years. So it, I made my decision in late April. Unfortunately, uh, there was, there was still space on the roster and they still were able to take me at that time and uh, then never looked back. So it was not that I knew I was going there by November 15th. It was uh, a regular decision status that doesn't happen as often now, just with the, the recruiting climate. Just that things are, are so much more accelerated now and, and people are aware of the early deadlines or how, how has it changed? Uh, yeah, I think that just, especially in the, the high academic world, um, there are, are, so, so much competition to, to try to get in to these high academic schools. And then also, um, the timeline continues to be accelerated. I mean, basketball used to be one of the, the later sports, but it's, it's continuing to just uh, ED1, early action, 
uh, schools have early decision too. Um, so those timelines are being eaten up just because coaches want to make sure that they have uh, kids that want to be at that school. And that's also very important. But in the regular decision, there's so many options. The yield rate is much lower um, for that recruitment process. So when coaches are able to, to get kids committed earlier, they can start planning for that next class, um, and which is really accelerating things all around. Yeah, and I'm sure that's only been exacerbated by COVID and uh, players staying on, which is wonderful. And I think you know, players should definitely get that opportunity and I'm glad the NCAA did that to extend an extra year of eligibility so that people's careers didn't necessarily have to be ended by COVID. But I've also talked to a lot of coaches recently who will say, you know, I have eight freshmen and seven sophomores or these massive classes, mm-hmm. uh, which I can only imagine adds to some of the pressure on recruits to, uh, through limited opportunities. So I don't know if you've seen that in the Liberty League or from yeah, it, people in your network that you've talked to. Yeah. So that, that was the constant conversation throughout, um, the summer through my, my peers and, and everybody is, is riding those roster sizes are heavy. We, we're, we're carrying 19, which is more than we'd ever would carry or want to carry. But just the, when you take that step back during COVID and just realize that, uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to practice during this time period because of all of the testing protocols, the masking. Um, uh, President Bradley at, at Vassar College did a fantastic job for leading us through this COVID and, and um, pandemic. And then also trying to make sure that students were still able to be in a safe environment and get close to what they had in previous years. So that release of being able to practice, being able to be with your team, uh, that was completely uh, that getaway from what that pandemic did with the isolation. Um, and so that team atmosphere was gold to our, to our guys and where we were able to focus on self-improvement and, and focused on our team Um and that's why there was no attrition last year. Sometimes in Division Three, I feel like there's that time where, hey, I might not be playing. Um, I, I really got to focus on my internship opportunities or really buckle down on my academics. And, and then some guys might fall off of the program, still enjoy the school, which is a benefit of being at a school like Vassar. But that didn't happen. And everybody on our pro in our program. Um, really has bought into to what we believe in in our foundation and, and finding a role. And so that's what uh, has created this balloon, I feel like, in, um, in, in the rosters across the country. So that's what's made this recruiting class maybe the, the most challenging spot to ever find a, a roster spot because of that extra year, because of – very few schools had to hand out playing time last year. So everybody mm-hmm. was, was in that happy place, knowing that we were all improving and getting better. Um, so now as we start our season tonight, that there's going to be adversity coming and, and to try to figure out the, the guys where that basketball and that team atmosphere still means as much as it did last year when it helped us through that pandemic. 
And, and it is, it is such a valuable experience. Like you're saying, just to keep the continuity on the, from 2020. And I guess even 2019, when you guys, I, I, 2018, 2019 season, when you guys have started to turn this program around and, and start to get some of the, some of the results on court that I'm sure are the byproduct of that culture and that um, team environment that you're, you're talking about. So you guys went 11 and 14 in 2018, 2019 and 11 and 15 uh, the following year. I mean, how you, you said it was gold, but how much did that matter to, do you think the the continuation of, of what you're trying to build with this program? Yes. And that, that, that word still holds true. And just the value of being able to, that a year gap would have been very challenging to try to have that, maintain that continuity. Um, we had a group full of our sophomores last year live together that first semester. Our seniors were living together um, that first semester because we weren't sure about the access to the gym or the weight room and, and people felt more comfortable. Hey, we'll rent a house. We'll take our classes online. And they are that sophomore group, which is now juniors really were able to take a big jump. And, and um, that camaraderie amongst that group continued to build. Um, so that, that was really helpful. And they came back in that spring semester where we were able to get more of those practices in and combine them with the first years and uh, some of the juniors who were on campus that first semester. Uh, so that's where that was really, really valuable because um, we're building something and something special and guys are, are bought into it. Coach Dunn, who was here before me, had that very uh, talented, the, the biggest roster I've ever seen at Division Three. We we were able to start six, you know, six one to, then it was like six 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 ten. Like Paul Grindy went to, did his grad transfer year at uh, at Clemson, <laughs> so yeah. he was able to be part of the Clemson team that uh, was able to beat Duke and beat UNC and beat maybe Louisville and won like whole stretch. So it was. Um, pretty neat but then all, all because of that sir yeah yes exactly um and in that situation having those seniors we went four and two against the top three teams in the league that year and then that next year in 1920 we had a 10 freshman and, and it was we had nine recruited and and one one made it as a walk-on and uh we went 11 and 14 during the regular season we won a tiebreaker to make the conference championship tournament. Um, but we were 0 and 6 against those top three teams. And what that was saying is just, Hey, we were able to win the games that we're supposed to win. And, and we weren't ready yet to try to be in that top upper echelon where the Liberty League is, is a fantastic league that has a ton of parity. But so we've had six different teams in the NCAA tournament the last four years. We've had competition. And in the 1920 season, we had three teams in the NCAA tournament. All of them won their first round games. Hobart was in the Sweet 16 before the tournament was canceled. So it's uh, it's a fun place to be, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it, it, it's it's good to have that challenge and and something to shoot for. I think you know conferences aren't static, and you will what what seems whoever seems to be the powerhouse now 
you know, in five to 10 years, given a coaching change or, or just a cultural change at a program, you, you, you could see new tenants at the top. And it seems like based on what you guys are doing and again, the, the results that we've seen on court in a small sample size that you're, you're trending in that direction. But maybe as you're saying, it starts with winning those games that you think you should win and then preparing and getting ready to, um, to, I guess, take on the, the uh, more established conference leaders. Uh, my, the, the first assistant I, I had here, coach Dan Bazelli, he's now the head coach at SUNY Purchase. Um, he was very adamant in reminding me there's no skipping steps, right? So we were able to compete and have double digit wins our first year to get to double digit wins again and make the conference tournament. That was the next step, right? So now we're, we're, our goal is to make sure we make that conference tournament and, and then win a game too and, and just continue to be, keep building because that, that, uh, that staircase, is more dependable. And sometimes that elevator is out of service. Usually it's not the right way. So um, we want to make sure we keep building step by step, brick by brick. And then, um, but that, that's the fun part of the process, right? If it was easy, everybody would do it. Um, it really holds true with, with kind of getting that program to a championship level that you, you were able to see your program at Swarthmore be able to do that as well. And that's, that's what we're striving to, 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 to be able to do here up in Poughkeepsie. Yeah. I think, I think my best season was the, uh, was your first year. It was the 11 and 14 mark. <laughs> so I, uh, I saw the, I saw the, the very first glimpses of it. We'll say. Yeah. But, yeah. I, switching gears a little bit. You were, a, you've been a division three assistant. You've been a D one assistant and now you're a, a division three head coach. What, what got you kicked off on coaching and, and why did you, you know, coming out of Rochester, did you always know that's what you wanted to do? Or I think you got a master's in, in 2006. So just walk us through your thinking there on, on why you got into coaching. Uh, I come from a coaching family. So uh, my dad was my high school baseball and basketball coach. My brother uh, coached, he, my brother and sister both went to Notre Dame and um, played baseball and softball. My brother coached at Notre Dame, Michigan State. Then he was the head coach at Toledo for um, 16 years. Uh, now he's the associate head coach at Akron. But the the situation was that it was kind of in my blood, and I was fighting it like all with all my heart. To, I got an economics degree at University of Rochester. I'm like, I'm not going to coach. And then I was out for one year, and I was miserable. So during that part of that first year in 2005, 06, after I graduated, I was um, looking for coaching jobs and I was able to get my first opportunity with uh, Chris Connolly down at Elmira College to get my master's. And, and um, once I had that opportunity, it was fantastic. And coach Mike Neer, who is at Rochester Hall of Fame coach, told me, uh, hey, you coaching's an illness and for the most part it is like you it, it's it's something that you can't you can never stop like you just want to continue to improve and and teach and it's something that doesn't leave you and and that's I've had that bug since since I graduated uh, I like that it's an illness 
And so from there, from Elmira, you, you got the job, you said at Rochester and kept the success going. It seems like you guys went to a couple more NCAA tournaments and you coached some all Americans, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. John DeBartolomeo was still playing with Maccabi Tel Aviv. Um, And that was, was able to coach with Luke Flakertsy in his first year back. We were able to win the UAA and go to the NCAA and, um, Really neat experience. And then just by the relationship, one of my former teammates, Tim Sweeney, was at Davidson uh, College. So after we went to the national championship game my senior year, he was able to become an assistant coach at Davidson. And that just so happened to be Steph's freshman year. Um, so during that Pretty time, period, yeah, yes. So I was able to. Um, go down and, and meet that staff and coach. And, and I was just learning from Coach McKillop, one of the, the best in the, in the, in the country. Um, and he just kept me, I, I wanted to keep going and keep learning. And, and that was even when Tim went to Bucknell with Coach Paulson, that was something that I just kept, um, that relationship with and not expecting anything in return. But after that NCAA tournament bid, uh, Coach Kozmowski got the Swarthmore job and there was an opening on staff. So I had that, um, coach Jim Fox asked if I would be interested and, and we packed our bags and moved on to North Carolina and it was an amazing experience. So division three, you get to wear all these different hats. Like you're, I'm doing game management. You're teaching a class. You are, are doing laundry. Sometimes you're doing a little bit of everything and division one. It's a little bit more siloed. You have a much greater support staff, um, but you're able to, I got my PhD in basketball during those six years at Davidson when it was focused completely on the recruiting aspect, how to run a program, um, boosters, like the, the, like all, all these things were incredibly helpful in developing my philosophy as a coach and, and prepared me to, for this position at Vassar college. So I'm so thankful for all of the different coaches that have helped me along the way. But that that experience at Davidson really helped me see the bigger bigger view. And that was that, that I'll for always be grateful for that. And you you mentioned when we were talking about the Yale game that you know you rely on your network a little bit. How much did that time at Davidson help you build your network? And like you said you got a PhD in basketball. Was, what I mean, what did you take away from those few years that you're still using to this day or, or still benefiting from, do you see? Uh, yeah, the, the relationship with some of the Division One schools is, is fantastic. Um, but I, I did miss Division Three in that without scholarships, you go into the recruitment process and – you're able to recruit that student athlete um, the best you can. And if they don't want to go to your school, it's not, it's not a personal, you know, like insult. So like in division one, when you're able to offer full scholarships, there's a lot more um, secrecy. Like I feel like the, the camaraderie of division three among the coaches is, is far greater uh, because of, that open book and not having that scholarship um, situation. So we'll recruit you. And the, the the second best answer that we can get after yes is no, 
And then we can move on to another student athlete that could be a potential good fit for us. So the network and learning different names, coaches, amazing support staff in Division One at Davidson was fantastic. But some of the closest peers that I have in the coaching world were my first seven years in Division Three, like working all these different camps and, and being able to spend time and talking about hoops um, nonstop. Those are some of the greatest friends that I was able to uh, come throughout my coaching career. As much as we're trying to raise awareness for, I think, the student-athlete opportunities at the Division three level, I think something else that I kind of realized throughout this process is that people look at D1 coaching opportunities the same way as they do D1 playing opportunities, and that there's this assumption that it's automatically better when you step up a division. And to me, it sounds like from what you're saying that that's not necessarily true and that there are benefits and there are slight differences. And you know, maybe you, as a D1 head coach, you get more money than a Division three head coach. But um, address that question a little bit because it, it feels like you found a great fit at Vassar and something that is right up your alley and meets your needs um, but wouldn't from the outside seem like a, a promotion to go from D1 to D3. Talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah, the biggest decision for, for Vassar was I, I enjoyed my Division three experience so much. And the other thing is to to have an opportunity. I have two two children uh, and a wonderful wife, Tania. My, my son, Trotter, is six years old, and my daughter, Cappy, is three. And I didn't get to see them as much. Um, with Division One. There, there's the workouts outside the season, um, and then you're able to have summer sessions so that there's actually never really an off-season. Um, and that time and being able to see them grow up has been so valuable for these first three going on four years at Vassar. So that part is that lifestyle and try that work-life balance that never will be equal, obviously, with, with coaching. But um, there is almost an assemblance of it. But the the perception of Division One, Division Three, Division One being better is sometimes, um, yeah, completely skewed, skewed, as you mentioned. So, for example, the, our, my current assistant that we just hired, Pat Stasiak, was the director of operations at Colgate, who is a two-time NCAA tournament team. He's coming off there, and, and people would ask him, hey, why are you taking this job at Vassar? Um, coach Stasiak just wants to coach again. He wants to be able to get on the floor. He wants to recruit. He wants to be involved. And, and I only have one full-time assistant, so he's thrown into the fire. And that's when you can really learn to be – a coach, how to handle those relationships, be on the floor to recruit. That's where you're really cutting your teeth. And, and so some of those video jobs, director of operations, those things are great to learn the game, but to get that full in-depth uh, experience, that's where division three can knock it out of the park because of the, the coaching jobs in division one are so scarce. Yeah. Yeah. More of that hands-on opportunity and, and you can really, where you said you can get a, you can get a focused education in basketball. You can maybe get more of that hands-on coaching experience at the D3 level. Absolutely. Um, one other misconception, I think, between D, D1 and D3 is that 
you know, if you do go division three, because there isn't that athletic scholarship piece, you're going to be on the hook for the entire tuition costs and Vassar and a lot of other elite institutions around the country have a, have a tall sticker price, but at the end of the day, they also have very generous financial aid offerings um, that are just not connected to your athletics. Vassar is, I would say, among the nation's leaders in, in on that front and definitely pushing uh, the boundaries of, you know, what is, how, like how much aid to give and, and whether or not to be need blind. Can you talk about some of those initiatives and, and, and what set, sets Vassar apart? Uh, on a financial aid perspective? Yeah, it's uh, it's incredible. I'm so fortunate to be at Vassar College because of the school's mission to offer an elite academic uh, experience to anybody that is able to do the work. So if you're able to get into school, Vassar's mission is to be able to allow that person to go to school no matter uh, how little uh, money that, 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 that person may have. So yeah, the sticker price of you know, 75 plus thousand is outrageous, but there are incredible amounts of financial aid that are invested back into our students, um, to make that mission come, come true. So for, for those of you who don't know the FAFSA, um, we have the CSS profile or, or means to try to calculate your need based aid. So whatever your, family makes they put that into the calculator figure out what is able to come out and that would be the family contribution so and they would make up the rest in financial aid so the average student you know debt coming out of Vassar is fifteen thousand dollars and that's far below the national average so to give that experience um, no matter where you're coming from in life or the 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 finances, that's an, that's an amazing opportunity. And we have so many different guys on our team. Some are, are able to in a place where they've had uh, accounts set aside where they're able to come to this and, and they're paying the full boat. But we have a number that are, you know, able to make it work with, you know, two, uh, one parent or two parents that, you know, are making that middle class wage and they're able to come to this prestigious university. And that's what really well, makes me just happy being able to work here and, and believe in, and be a part of this institution that creates so many amazing opportunities. Yeah. And it was the, it was the focus of a, of a Malcolm Gladwell podcast. It's not, not often <laughs> that you get a division three school as the focus of a, you know, a nationally syndicated podcast, but he was, he was echoing what you're saying, which is that there's, there's really this, focus down to the school's core mission to to make sure that education is affordable and um and yeah and you know looking into the the trade-offs that come with that but but all the benefits you know that the average debt that a student's walking away with is 15k is you know as you mentioned way lower than the national average and um really just a, a gift to to students to be able to graduate mostly debt-free and with the Vassar education and with the, the, the job network that, that the school degree provides. And that, uh, yeah, the revisionist history, Malcolm Gladwell, I, 
if any of your contacts hear this, please let me know. I'll get you a Vassar basketball shirt right away. I, I enjoyed that podcast and I listened to it my first year here and have shared it with many prospects. Yeah, I feel like Gladwell lives in New York, so maybe we maybe we start a uh, social media push to get him up to get him up to Poughkeepsie for a game. So, and then just uh, for the student athletes, if it's not Vassar, right? The student there's other schools that can offer merit money for your academic success. So that those are the schools that want to make their student body look better, and they want those elite academic students at that school. So. They might be, hey, here's $10,000, here's $15,000, because we want you to make our school better, like our student body continuing to look look good. Um, but that's unfortunately not the case at, at Vassar, because every student who's admitted is an amazing um, student. So that's where we don't offer merit money, it's only need-based aid. So it's very important to kind of figure out the school's and the, the different opportunities that you might have as a prospect. It's a good clarification. And the, th- the thing is, most of the schools are pretty transparent these days and have those merit tiers with the associated GPA and with the, um, the test scores you might need. So all that information is out there in a matter of digging it up and, and being solid with the list of schools that, that you want to be applying to. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's close it out with, I think you could take this two ways, either your pitch to someone who's considering Vassar or your advice to division three athletes or future division three athletes generally, someone who's trying to play at a high school right now. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll start with that, that advice. It's just to, to have all that information ready for those coaches and schools that you're interested in, reach out to them. Send your transcript, an unofficial transcript. Um, something that we've been asking a lot more has been, hey, put together a resume of all the things that you do out, off the court to, to really show what you could bring to a campus community. And, and that's something that, that we value greatly at Vassar, but it's, it's great for any school to hear, uh, the things that you are and to, to, we really want you to be well-rounded. Um, test scores, if you have them, even though Vassar's test optional still, um, and adjustments due to the COVID uh, pandemic, we, we made sure we were test optional for these three years. But if you have good scores, include them. If you have film, highlights, full game, um, but try to get, get the coach's attention by showing some of the flashes that you're able to do. And then you can also include a full game film that kind of shows what you're capable of. Um, and that's where coaches really can see, hey, does he have a concept of help defense? Is he a good teammate? Can he help his teammate like guys up? Like those things are what coaches can pick up in that full game film. And then schedules, like what's your high school schedule, practice schedule, workout schedule uh, for AAU summer, your spring schedule. And if if you are going on college visits, reach out to that coach and see if you can meet with them if you're going to stop by the campus. Like that's the biggest playbook because I know every school wants people that want to be at their, their institution. So to show that initial um, interest is, is really helpful to, to figure out with coaches of who's, who's real and who's not. So, and it won't always work out, but you don't know until you ask and reach out and do the work yourself. Um, and then the last part, just a sales pitch for, for Vassar college. 
There's not many places in the country where you can get a top-notch education, have the most beautiful campus that you can ever imagine. Um, we're an hour and a half north of New York City, so you could fly into LaGuardia, you can fly into Newark, JFK, direct flight from anywhere and be able to get here. And we're competing in a very tough league, but the opportunity is there. Because of our academic reputation, we're able to fish in different ponds. And we're more like a NESCAC school um, in the Liberty League. And, and to have that opportunity as we continue to build our program, we, we want to be able to, to kind of recruit against some of the big boys that you can really find um, and be whoever you want to be at Vassar College. And that, that part is, is nice because there's a lot of just different social pressures going on um, for high schoolers across the country. And uh, it's really impressive to see just the originality that comes out uh, at Vassar. And, and it really helps me be the coach I want to be and, and our team really uh, figure out who they are and continue to uh, – mature as men and, and as basketball players. So it's a fantastic place. I would love for you guys to come visit if you haven't been here before because uh, it's top notch. Yeah, I'm sold. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, it is a game day, so I want to be respectful of your time here as you get ready to uh, take on Elizabethtown and, and get the, the season kicked off. But thanks for, for taking the time, Coach Me, and, and for sharing both your playing career, coaching career, and and some advice to future student-athletes. Fantastic. And, again, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. I love what you're doing. And and this is great for all those regions of the country that don't have a vast majority of D3s. The Northeast has known about Division Three for a while, but there's other parts and pockets where you don't have those opportunities. And there's very good high-level basketball being played and, and you don't have to go to the University of Arizona or go to UCLA. You, you can come to some very good Division threes, get a great academic uh, experience, and play at a high level. So thank you so much. You bet. This has been a convo with Ryan Mee, head coach, uh, head men's basketball coach at Vassar College and former Rochester student athlete. Coach Mee, thanks again. We'll, we'll talk to you soon.